So we've had uh, multiple guest speakers come uh, throughout the summer, and this uh, next guest speaker is a great friend of Hope Church. Uh, if Many of you have been blessed if you've attended a lead kids or a lead students or a lead worship. This guy is kind of behind all of that, and right now he is uh, the associate regional director, the uh, associate, the assistant to the director, you know, whatever that title is. Uh, this is Andy Needham, and we are so thankful that he is here serving with us. The joke goes, assistant to the regional manager. That's how it goes. So, Good morning, everybody. It is such a joy and privilege to be with you today, to be back with you. Many of you here in this space are familiar friends and faces, and if we're new, uh, it is such a joy to be at Hope Church uh, I count uh, these, this staff in particular, Pastor Rick, Justin, Steve, Maggie, the team here, you have an incredible staff team, and these are dear friends and partners in the gospel here in the Northeast. And when uh, Pastor Rick texted me a couple months ago and said, hey, would you come back and speak again? Um, that was, you know, getting invited somewhere to speak is great. Getting invited back, you know, I guess he wanted to find out if I had more than one good sermon, so that... <laughs> It's kind of why I'm here today. And then he kind of unpacked for me this series that you're in, which I, was pretty interesting. This series called Drama Kings, as we look at the Old Testament kings and the drama that surrounded their lives. And I don't know if it was he had it out for me or something like that, but he gave me a particularly unique assignment this morning. We're going to have some fun together today exploring the Word of God together. We're going to look at King Joash of Judah. There's actually two King Joashes, and some of our other speakers and, and preachers have communicated uh, there is a division in the kingdom. There is the northern Israel and the southern Judah. And King Joash is one of the later kings of Judah, the southern part of that. And you can find his story. And we'll actually kind of bounce between these two areas in 2 Kings chapter 12 and in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. So 2 Kings 12 would probably be a good place to put your thumb this morning. But we'll kind of walk through their story today. And we're going to zoom in on one particular aspect of drama in the life of of King Joash. And his, his story is riddled with drama. There's drama throughout. This one right here is all kinds of drama. But there's one particular kind of drama that we're going to zoom in on today. And it is a type of drama that might be one of the most common types of drama in our world, in our businesses, in our families, and in our lives. And one of our favorite things to talk about in church, right? No. Uh, so let's look at what some wise scholars, or maybe not so wise scholars, have said about this very topic. The first quote that we'll put up on the screen is right here. This will give you a sign about what we're going to talk about today. I know you were hoping that we would quote the Taurus B.I.G. this morning. But he said, mo money, mo problems, all right? So that is the kind of drama we're looking at. Another cultural uh, reference that we have, the 1996 movie, Jerry Maguire, uh, Tom Cruise's character shouts, show me the money, all right? A little bit more contemporary. I've already had one office illusion this morning, but we'll go with Michael Scott, the world's greatest boss. Uh, this is in season four, in an episode called The Money, and he steps out of his office and he shouts, thinking that this will solve all of his money problems, I declare bankruptcy. All right, so that's another one. And then an often misunderstood one. And a lot of people quote this, but they actually misquote it. And I think that it's interesting that we misquote it because I think it actually reveals something about the way that we often see the world outside of the way that God designed and made the world. You've probably heard this before, that money is the root of 
evil or all evil. That's not in the Bible. It doesn't say that. Mark Twain once added to this. He said, the lack of money is the root of all evil. But what does the Bible actually say about money? It actually says this. It says that the love, the love of money, that's a key distinction, that when we make our resources and our finances the ultimate thing, the thing that we focus on more than anything else, that when we set our affections, when we serve that master instead of the master of the universe, that that will lead us to all kinds of evil, all kinds of drama in our lives. When we make money our master, when we misuse God's resources, when we have a scarcity mindset, when we mismanage the things that God has given us, it will lead to all kinds of drama in our lives. I, I asked this question this morning. How much drama is surrounded by money? How much drama in our world, in our world, in our lives? My hope in prayer today is that God would help us to see his heart more clearly, that we could better answer and experience the reality that God has for us on the other side of this question. How can we live a life free from money drama? How can we live a life, wouldn't you want to live a life that is free from money drama? And so to do that today, we're going to look at King Joash, as I mentioned, King Joash of Judah. So who is King Joash? All right? This is not like top ten of Bible stories that most of us grew up hearing about. So let me give you a little bit of background about King Joash, and then we're going to read part of the story from both First Kings and Second Chronicles. I would encourage you, as kind of a follow-up today, if you want to know more of his story and unpack this, to go back and read Second Kings chapter 10 and Second Kings chapter 11, which gives a pretty good overview of this very twisted story of the background of how King Joash came to be the king. The setting here is Judah, the southern part of the divided kingdom, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, the capital of Judah being Jerusalem. Now, Joash was actually seven years old when he became king. Seven years old when he became king. When most of us are learning our alphabets, he became the ruler of this nation. And here's the thing. There's all of this drama in his stories, his ruling fairies. So to kind of summarize it this way, in short, Joash was hidden away as an infant at a time when there was conflict between two ruling families. It's kind of similar, if you know the story of Moses, where he was put on the river and hidden away. There's actually some echoes of that story in the story of Joash. He was hidden away by his mother and his nurse at a time because what had happened was that the wicked king, Alathia, she, the mother of the deceased king, Ahaziah, these are all fun names to say, Alathia came to lead Judah and murdered all the descendants of Jeroboam's royal line, except for Joash. And so what happened was, uh, there was basically this wicked woman, Athaliah, she murdered everyone trying to eliminate the line. And the cool thing about Joash, if you know your biblical history, is that Joash actually preserves the Davidic line for the Messiah. So God is preserving his plan and his story through Joash being preserved as the king. And so he's hidden away. And then amid all of that wickedness, there's this righteous high priest. And we're actually going to talk about him today. This righteous high priest, and his name is Jehoiada. And he helped preserve Joash's life. And eventually he helps execute 
a coup to overrule the wicked queen who was ruling and to bring to power the rightful king, which was Joash. So, again, not much drama in this kid's story at all. <laughs> That's a, a kind of a rough uh, sketch of what had happened. And I want you today, as we go through the scripture here, to pay particular attention to where Jehoiada is mentioned. Pay attention to how he is mentioned in relation to King Joash, because we're going to draw some of those things out as we go today. And so, to give you the best picture of what we're going to talk about today, what I've done, and you're going to have to kind of follow along on the screen, but I've taken some selections from 2 Kings 12 and from 2 Chronicles 24, which are these two parallel stories, but they draw out a few distinctive things. And so I want us to kind of go back and forth between those two passages, all right? So let's look at these two passages of Scripture. The word of the Lord this morning. We'll start in 2 Kings, but again, we're going to bounce back and forth. You'll see it on the screen. In the seventh year of Jehu, Joash became king, and he ruled in Jerusalem for 40 years. His mother's name was Ziba. She was from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years that Jehoiada was the priest, that the, the Jehoiada the priest instructed him. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Jumping to Second Chronicles. Joash decided to restore the temple of the Lord. He called together the priests and the Levites and he said to them, go to the towns of Judah and collect the money due annually from all of Israel to repair the temple of your God. Do it now. But the Levites, that being the priests, did not act at once. Jumping back to 2 Kings. But by the 23rd year of of King Joash, the priests still had not repaired the temple. Therefore, Joash summoned Jehoiada, the priest, and the other priests, and asked them, why aren't you repairing the damage done to the temple? Take no more money from your treasurers, but hand it over for repairing the temple. The priests agreed that they would not collect any more money from the people, and that they would not repair the temple themselves. 2 Chronicles 24, picking up verse 7. Now the sons of that wicked woman, Alathia, had broken into the temple of God, and had used even its sacred objects for the Baals. At the king's command, a chest was made and placed outside at the gate of the temple of the Lord. A proclamation was then issued in Judah and Jerusalem that they should bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, had required of Israel in the wilderness. All the officials and all the people brought their contributions gladly, dropping them into the chest until it was full. Whenever the chest was brought in by the Levites to the king's official, they saw that there was a large amount of money. The royal secretary and the officer of the chief priest would come and empty the chest and carry it back to its place. They did this regularly and collected a great amount of money. The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who carried out the work required for the temple of the Lord. They hired masons and carpenters to restore the Lord's temple and all the workers in iron and bronze to repair the temple. The men in in charge were diligent and the repairs progressed under them. They rebuilt the temple of God according to its original design and reinforced it. And when they had finished, they brought the rest of the money to the king and Jehoiada, and they made articles for the Lord's temple, articles for the service, for the burnt offerings, also the dishes, the objects of gold and silver. As long as Jehoiada lived, burnt offerings were presented continually in the temple of the Lord. Now, 
I know that's a lot. There's a lot going on there, right? That's a long narrative. That's a lot of scripture. We don't even always read that much. But I want you to get a picture of what is happening here in this story. You have this young king who's being mentored by the high priest. Now, it says distinctively, and we'll draw this out, that he was a righteous king, which is very unique among the kings. Most of the kings were not seen by the Lord as being righteous. But his story is far from perfect. First of all, he doesn't eliminate all of the high places. And second of all, he finds himself in this thing where he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to use the resources that God has designed to restore the temple. And yet it's not going so well. It doesn't get traction. In fact, for decades, nothing happens. And he has to recalibrate and recalibrate all of his intentions and his focus in order to get this mission done. So today, what I want to draw out from this is to consider the key elements to live a life free from money drama. Let's consider today the things that Joash had right. Let's consider the things that he did not have right. And let's consider the ways that he had to recalibrate throughout his story. We start with a very simple, straightforward, big idea today, but it is a critical one. And that is this. A life that is free from money drama requires the right purpose. If you and I are going to live a life that is free from money drama, we have to have the right purposes. And we know that the right purposes are the eternal purposes of God. Second Kings 12 verse 2 says this, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He had the right purposes. It says this in verse 4, that Joash decided to re- restore the temple of the Lord. Here's a little key that I want to give you that will help you as you read the Old Testament King stories. Always pay attention to two things. The temple and the high places. The temple and the high places. You can tell very quickly how a king is doing in terms of having the right purposes when you look at how they interact with those two things. Who they worship, where they put their resources, And Joash set his intention to restore the temple. When I align my priorities with God's priorities, when I choose to seek God's heart and his intention for my resources, when I invest my income in eternal things, when I choose to pause and ask why and not just what, then I begin to see my resources, my finances, my money, the way that God sees them. The right purposes for our resources are God's purposes. And we can spend our lives and our time and our energy and every dollar building our own little sandcastle kingdoms, or we can spend our lives and our energy building the kingdom of God. One of my friends who is a speaker used to make the joke of this. He said, we can either build our kingdom or God's kingdom. There's only one throne in my house, and it's in the bathroom. All right? (laughs) I always just stuck with me. This is not about just becoming, let's just all start a monastery, share every single dollar we have. This is not never take a vacation. We're going to see that today as we go forward through the story. But God has a design. He has a purpose. He has a plan that he wants us to align ourselves with that is much bigger than building our own little kingdoms. It's hard for us to be honest about these things. The ways that I have sought my own power, my own purposes rather than the purpose of God. 
We need to ask ourselves, whose kingdom are we building? And we'll see throughout Scripture that God is much less concerned with how much money is in your bank account than he is concerned with the intentions of your heart and the purposes of how you use the things that he gives you. Think about the parable of the talents in the New Testament. Now, I don't think anybody here would argue that we should, we're in church, that we need to have the right purpose for our, for our resources, for our money. But this is the thing that's interesting, is that Scripture tells us that Joash was a man after God's heart, that he invested in the temple, and guess what? It still was messy. Some of us want to believe that if we just do this one thing, that every other thing will just fall into place. There's even people who preach messages like that. If you just give money to the church, then your life is going to be easy street. And what we see in Scripture and what we see in the life of Joash is that actually that's not the message of the Bible. Because Joash needed more than just the purposes of God. And it took him a long time. It took him over three decades to recognize and understand why things were not going the way that they should have been going. Look here at Second uh, Chronicles 24.5. It says, the Levites, the priests, they did not ask at once. Act at once. Second Kings 12.6. By the 23rd year of the king... The priests still had not repaired the temple. Therefore, King Joash summoned Jehoiada, the priest, and the other priests, and asked them, Why aren't you repairing the damage done to the temple? Take no more money from your treasurers, but hand it over for repairing the temple. Have you ever tried to do the right thing with your resources and had it go all wrong? We have an encouragement today. We need more, though, than just good intentions. And this is our second big idea. A life that's free from money drama requires the right purpose and it requires the right practices. The right practices. And here's the thing about this. I'm not going to stand up here today and give you five practices to be able to get your money all in order. There is a discernment that the Holy Spirit must give us, and we'll talk a little bit, a little bit later about one of the ways that he does that, on how to rightly manage our resources. There are principles that we see in Scripture that are, are good. But what we see here with Joash is that he had to recalibrate based on the situation that was in front of him, the things that he was given, his, his family history, the history of the, the priests at the time, which were playing into the dysfunction that he was reckoning with. Where did he go wrong? Well, he just assumed this. If I write the check... If I give all the resources that the, the priests will need, then they will take care of the rest. But what he was ignoring in this situation was, again, all the drama that had surrounded, the, un, the instability that had existed in the entire nation of Judah through these unbelievable shifts of different kings and rulers, and the fact that the priests had not been functioning at the center of culture the way that God had designed it for generations and so there were generations of priests who had grown up and never lived in a world where God was worshipped rightly. And so those family systems, those cultural systems were playing into the reality of dysfunction that was happening for Joash. Another way to say it is that, he, that Joash had the right why, his purposes, but he lacked the correct how, the right practices. 
And it was not a short amount of time that this it was decades that this was left undone until he stepped in. And so what does he do? He gathers the priests together. He calls out the problem. He gets the priests to commit to using the funds as intended. And then he recalibrates. He actually cuts out the middlemen. He says, look, priest, we're going to pay you for your services as God has already set up. But in terms of this work of these tradesmen, we're going to go right to the source. We're going to get these resources. We're going to have a different way of collecting resources. And he recalibrates. And there are going to be times in your life and mine where we have to pause, evaluate, and recalibrate the way that we handle and steward over our resources. It was not a lack of financial investment. It was a lack of intentional accountability and follow through to find the best system to accomplish the plan. How can we think about this in our own lives today? What does it look like when we get this right or this wrong in our homes, in our churches, in our businesses, in our world, or in any arena? So to, to kind of make this a little bit more practical today, one of the things I want to do in some of the time that we have remaining is walk through a simple grid. This is, as I was thinking about this, this uh, passage here, um, this is a, a construct that many of you probably have seen before. It's a simple two-by-two, four-quadrant structure. But I want us to think about the way that we interact with our resources based on this construct. The, these two big things, that we have to have God's purposes and we need to have the right practices. And so you can kind of see this being a spectrum. From over here, this would be the land of building my own kingdom. This is where I am focused on my interests and not necessarily the interests of God. Up on the top are operating with the right practices. This is where Joash ended up. And really, most of his early leadership was down here in this bottom quadrant here with the poor practices. And so we're going to walk through this. We'll bring up the first one now here. And this is a place where a lot of us live. I don't know if you remember your first job. My first job, I worked at a camp. I made like $100 a week. I thought I was a rich man, right? And uh, I, I couldn't believe that at the end of the summer, I had all of my housing paid for. I had all of the food that I needed. Uh, and at the end of the summer, I had about $12 left over. And all of the money that I made was spent on Twizzlers, Mountain Dew, ice cream. And, uh, and I can laugh about that, you know, when I was 14, 15, 16 years old now. But this is the place that some of us live in, where we're living for my own kingdom, and I am not necessarily operating with good practices with my resources. And so our goal in that is just what's ever right in front of us. Like, some of us have lived, I have two teenagers in my house, and sometimes I look at them and I'm like, you know the money's not on fire, right? You don't have to get rid of it as quickly as you possibly can. This is the place where we're living for, for pleasure, right? I used to wonder how Dunkin' Donuts had so many locations around New England, and then I had two teenagers with jobs in my house. I'm like, I completely understand now how that happens. I mean, they spend almost all their money at Dunkin' Donuts, and up we have Aroma Joe's is the other place. We support two businesses in our family. But this is where we live for pleasure, and it's this place of senselessness. Really, this is the role of the fool, when we live in this place and our drivers, what drives us in that moment is just the need for impulse. We just need a quick fix. We won't want to feel pain. We want the next thing. Whatever's right in front of us is the thing that we want. And we're trying to escape some kind of reality. And some of us use money as a drug to try to escape from the pain and the reality of our lives. And frankly, all of us do this sometimes. It may not be the land that you live in, but it might be the reality that you sometimes find yourself in. I know that that's true 
for me. And a biblical example you would have of this would be in Luke 15, where Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son. He says to his father, he says, I wish you were dead. What I want is all of your stuff and none of your responsibility. And that is the reality that some of us will live in. When we live in a reality where we're building our own kingdom and living with poor practices. And we're going to talk in a moment, but I want to say that today, if you feel even a tinge of conviction or an ounce of shame, that God's grace is sufficient for you in all of your weakness today. The second place that many of us can find ourselves living is this right here. This is where we have good practices. Maybe we, we make a lot of money. We have the right resources. We, even, we have a savings account. It has a high interest rate. We're invested in the market. Our 401k match. We're all the way in on that. But really, what we're looking for is a sense of security. And this is the shadow side of living in the culture that we live in. That we think that our resources can give us a sense of security in this temporary world where we live. And we're driven by selfishness. And what is it that drives us? Control and fear. Ultimately, it's a place of fear. This is sort of the Ebenezer Scrooge quadrant, all right? A biblical example of this we would see in Luke 18, which is this, the rich young ruler, the man who comes to Jesus and says, yeah, I want to know how to get into heaven, but I just don't want you to touch any of my stuff. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, go and sell everything that you have. Because he realizes that on the throne of that young man's heart was his checkbook and his stuff. And God will always come for our heart if there's something else on the throne. There's no need for faith or for God. And some of us, we may even be in church, but if we looked at the way that we spend our resources, we're functionally setting our lives up so that we don't need God. That's not the place that God has designed for us to live. Now, now let's talk about where Joash is. And honestly, where a lot of us actually live a lot of our lives, which is down here. This is where we are seeking God's kingdom but we are not practicing good practices. And what we see here, and this is what you have with Joash, is this sense of perceived piety. What I mean by that is, it looks good, but it's not really everything that God had designed for us. And what we have here as the result is this sense of scarcity. And I can tell you, especially as Christians in New England and the Northeast in a post-Christian world, we often operate from a place of scarcity. We look at other parts of the country and their big buildings, their big budgets, and we think that we don't have enough. But I can tell you right now, everything that's needed to reach this area for Jesus is represented in the churches here. Everything that we need is here. And what drives us here is short-sightedness, that we don't see the big picture. You know, maybe we just write a check or we give enough to be acceptable, but we're not really managing our resources in the way that God would design for us to do it. And then finally, the place that we want to live, the place where many of us spend a lot of our lives, but maybe not enough of our lives, is in this place where our right practices in God's kingdom are aligned. And this is the place of ultimate freedom. Let me just say, on this side of eternity, almost none of us will spend all of our time here. But I want to say that it is possible, as you mature in Christ, as you're surrounded by people who love Jesus, to spend more of your time free of drama when it comes to your resources to live in a place of stewardship and to be driven by vision and to be driven by compassion, which is this element where we look out for the needs of others and not just the needs of 
ourselves. This would be the vision for us. Then the question becomes for us, where are we right now? Where do we go when we're unhealthy? And how can we live more and more in this place of ultimate freedom? How can we have the right practices and live for God's kingdom? And I actually think that our story here today gives us an interesting insight into that. And this is the thing that I think we sometimes miss. Because if we just end our message here and we just say, try harder to do better, manage your money better, give more money to church, that's not what this message is about at all. But the question is this, how can we change? How can we change? And here's the thing. As Christians, we know that change is possible. You don't have to be okay to be here today. But the good news in Jesus is you don't have to stay there. And I want to just talk for you just a moment about something that we see in this passage here. To live a life that's free from money drama it requires the right purpose, the right practices, and sometimes the thing that we most overlook when it comes to our finances is this. We need the right people. We need the right people. Friends, it is the power of God alone that can unlock you from the prison of whatever is on the throne of your heart. But here's the thing that we see throughout the Bible, and this is the gift of the church of Jesus Christ, that oftentimes the way that the power of God is unleashed in our lives is through other people. Oftentimes the way that the power of God is unleashed in our lives is through other people. We see this in some ways through the tragedy of Joash's life. Because look at this here, 2 Kings 12, verse 2. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. When did he do what was right in the eyes of the Lord? All the years that Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. Second Chronicles 24, 14. As long as Jehoiada lived, burnt offerings were presented continually in the temple of the Lord. There's a, a hopeful part of this story, and there's a tragic part of the story. The hopeful part is this, that we can have people in our lives that can speak into our lives, that can give us the wisdom to help us live in a way of freedom. The tragic part of our lives is if we never transform our hearts through that, if God never transforms our hearts, what you see in Joash's life is that after Jehoiada died, everything fell apart. Everything fell apart. We live in a hyper-individualistic society where we're, we consider there are a few things in our culture that are more private than religion and finances, all right? We're doing both here today, all right? Those are two things that oftentimes are, are just considered ultimately, with just the fact that we're talking about this makes some of us anxious here. It is the power of God unleashed through his people, though. And here's the thing that I believe. I don't think that you can live a fully flourishing life in your finances on your own. Some of us here today, we need help and we know it but it is the trap of pride or the trap of shame that is keeping us from asking someone else for help. Some of us here need help and we don't know it. We have a family history. Maybe it's like Joash. We have things that are easy to ignore. But all of us need to consider who would be the Jehoiada in our lives in terms of finances. Who is mentoring you? Who is speaking into your life? Who are your examples? Who do you invite into these conversations? Many of you will remember the Great Recession of 2008. At that time, I just started as the youth pastor of a church west of Boston. And we had a youth group of about 70 students. It was in a community of means. And we saw as 
family after family went through the difficulty, many of them losing jobs and some of them losing homes, of these marriages dissolving. Over six to 12 marriages in our church fell apart in that season. And that was a time when Bethany and I looked at each other and we said, you know what? That's not going to be our story. And so as throughout time, we have at different points in our, our life. Just a few weeks ago, we're in a stage of life where I have two kids that are, had, one's in college, one's about to go to college. And uh, we sat down with a financial advisor and we said, hey, can you give us some counsel, some wisdom on who and what needs to happen? I want to encourage you today to seek out the wisdom and the leadership that you have represented in this room and this church. I want to close with just one last story this morning. Because in all of this, what God is after is not your checkbook. It's your heart. About a decade ago, I was traveling full-time doing music with a band. Some of you remember that season of our life. and it was, it was a fun season. You know, one night we'd be opening for Casting Crowns or leading worship before Tim Keller gets to, to meet him. Other nights I'd be playing at the gazebo for my mom and her two friends. So it was like we both, both realities. We traveled full-time, and, you know, there was this one Sunday morning. We love to serve at churches on Sunday morning. And we were at this small church in central Massachusetts. And it was one of these things where the pay wasn't the best pay. And we kind of looked at it and we're like, oh, what a, what a good thing that we're doing for this church, right? That we were coming and we're blessing them by leading worship for them. And so the church was full that Sunday morning. And, of course, when a church is full, especially in New England, when we got done leading worship, there was only a handful of empty seats. And you know where those seats were, right? Right in the front row. And so we come down off the platform. And I come down and I sit down. And there's this, this woman I'd, I'd seen while I was leading worship. And she's sitting in a uh, wheelchair. And she's clearly a paraplegic. And she'd been singing along with us through the service. And the time came for the offering to be received. And the ushers, the pastor got up and he prayed, just like you did this morning. And the ushers walked over. And in this moment, it was a holy moment for me. Unexpected. Something I will never forget. The usher walked over and there's this woman. She can't use her hands or her legs. She's been wheeled to church. She obviously had to have a ride to get there. And I hadn't noticed this before, but sitting on her stomach is a check. A check that she didn't even write. But that was going to be her act of worship. And as the usher came over, he reached over to pick up the check and I wasn't trying to like, grab a glance of her or anything, but in this holy moment, God let me see that that check was written for one dollar. Now, I haven't written a lot of large checks in my life. I don't have a lot of commas going on in my bank account. But I have never written a check for a dollar. And I realized in this moment as I got a glimpse, like God pulled back the curtain of what was actually happening in that room. That God's purposes and God's priorities and God's people are so different than what I often see with my human eyes. Because in that morning where I thought I was doing the great service of worship, there was a widow giving everything that she had at the feet of her Savior. And God was well pleased. It's not about how much you give. It's not about how much you have. 
God is not concerned with those things. God is always concerned with your heart. And if you feel like you have been living like that prodigal son, or you feel like you have been living like that rich young ruler, my encouragement today to you is this, that God's grace is sufficient for you. The gospel changes everything. Jesus has paid the debt for your sin and your shame, and there's no debt on this side of eternity that he cannot help you with. Through his people, may his grace be sufficient unto you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the gift of this day, this morning, this unusual story and even a difficult topic that you speak to in Scripture. God, give us your purposes. Give us your priorities. Give us your practices. And thank you, God, for the gift of your people and help us not to ignore that gift. It's in your great, in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray.